You're listening to Radio Influence. Uh, flavor, flavor, please tell your neighbors, Ian Beckles with flavor in your ear. <laughs> Wake up, sports, music, and fashion, best of podcasting, what's going on now and what's soon to happen. Be sure to stick around, no fast forward or skipping, dropping jewels, you don't want to miss them. Make sure you listen, Ian Beckles with the flavor in your ear, the voice of the people's here. Hello everybody and welcome back to Flavor in the Ear. This is Ian Beckles on a rainy Friday and uh, we have kind of a uh, special flavor in your ear for you this week. You know, normally I'm talking about pop culture and uh, the Kardashians and I'm talking about Donald Trump and, uh, you know, the government which is going batshit crazy right now. Uh, but today we're going to make it a little easier. Uh, maybe we'll learn a little bit about ourselves. Maybe I'll learn a, bit, a little something about me. Uh, I have a special guest here, Karen Rowe. How are you? How are I'm you doing? Doing really well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, Karen Rowe. I was exposed to her at my KPI um, meeting that I've had with uh, with Topher Morrison and the lovely Jody. And uh, you were one of the keynote speakers and explaining how important it is to write a book. Now, uh, did, did you go through the KPI program? I did. I'm a KPI graduate. I was in KPI three. Wow. Back in 2014. Well, I'm in KPI 13, so it's been going for a little while. So you're 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 a pioneer. Uh, so you must be good at what you do because they've asked you to come back and speak to the uh, the other groups. Um, how many how many books have you written? Well, I average about 35 a year, and I've been doing it for 10 years. You said 35 a year. Yes, you write 35 books a year. I do. Okay, I'm, I'm just I'm doing I'm doing the math in my head. <laughs> well, I have a whole team first of all, so I have a team of editors, graphic designers, a project manager. Um, okay, <laughs> so you write three books a month. <laughs> well, yeah, we have anywhere from three to fifteen book projects going at any given time. Now, the the benefit is that they're not all at the same place at the same time. So sometimes okay. they're with the client revisions. Sometimes they get stalled. Sometimes we're at the start. Um, sometimes I have clients come to me with the first draft written. So okay. there are different levels of uh, work from our end. No doubt. Now, when, I, when you're in KPI, you're learning about um, how to become a better business person. One of the things that they were dwelling on was the importance of writing a book and your, your relevancy. I mean, what does writing a book do for somebody's product? Well, it establishes you as an expert in your field. So it builds and grow, grows your credibility. And the other thing that I find it does is it gets your voice and your message out there. And I always like to say that a book can be an ambassador for you while you are sleeping and working on other things. Your message is being delivered for work that you have done previously. Mm -hmm. Now, people... People shouldn't write a book think they're going to make a lot of money. That's right. Okay. <laughs> That's because I, I, when they're saying write a book, I'm thinking, well, you're not can't make any money on a, on a book, but I don't think I don't think that's really what it's about. Yeah, that's really shifted. So one of the things that Amazon has done is it's shifted the power of the publishing houses into the hands of the author. So the great thing is that now you don't need one of the big five publishers to be able to get your message out there, and you can get it out to market faster. Mm. But it also means that everyone doing it. So now you have to sure. compete with everyone else who's self-publishing. And there's really no money in books. So there's no longer a day where you're going to go on a book tour mm -hmm. <laughs> and so. your publisher is going to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Where the money is, is in the back end. back end. So how are you going to leverage it to build and grow your business or your expertise? Can you get it to get you speaking gigs? Can you bring in new clients? Mm -hmm. And how many new clients do you need to bring in to get a return on the investment? for that book. Well, there's some of the examples they were using whereas uh, somebody he asked somebody to speak one year and he asked for 500 bucks and then the next year uh, he said, well, I wrote a book and he was able to ask for twice as much. So just having a book that you've written, not even knowing that anybody's read this book is, is going to double his profits immediately? Absolutely. Really? And you just start got to start thinking of a book as a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, 
how many clients can it bring you in? And it mm. also shifts the credibility from now you seeking people to believe you and trust you to mm. them then approaching you and saying, oh, I read your book and I, I saw you on TV and I saw you on Amazon. Sure, sure. Will you come and speak for us? Well, it makes sense because if somebody sees me on TV, they're like it's such a big deal to them and it's just becoming second nature to me. And somebody says, I saw you on TV today and I have to actually think about what it could have been because <laughs> my life's kind of turned crazy that way. But I am going to write a book. Um, Fantastic. I can't believe I'm going to say that <laughs> because I'm not a big reader. Uh, I just wrote, read one of the first books I've re- uh, read in years, The Dip, which yep. they gave us in KPI. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read your book. Yes. Uh, your, your latest one is be- behind the cover. Is it the latest or just the ones that they gave us to That's read? the most recent the one, most yes. Recent one. And what is that uh, behind the cover? What's that book? Well, it it's a ghostwriter's guide. That's me mm-hmm. uh, to authoring your own business book. So it's essentially everything I do with my clients. I'm giving you all of the information and all of the steps you need to write it yourself okay. um, and questions to ask and what are the steps of writing and publishing a book and everything you need to know. Okay. Well, the, my book, and I went over it and thought about it and uh, from my experience that I've had through football, through media, through life, um, you know, leadership is something I've been exposed to and maybe something I've turned into. Uh, so I want to write a book about leadership and the different styles of leadership, uh, what's important. Uh, so I wrote down a couple, you know, a couple points that I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where you're going to help me today. You bet. You're going to kind of interview me a little bit today. And I'm going to, you know, give you my two cents on what I think about the uh, different topics. And... Um, uh, hopefully we'll use some of this in the book down the way. Yeah, and that's a really great approach. A lot of people think they have to sit down and write and type everything. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you're if you're more of a speaker, and I am. Th- then it's great to just talk it and mm-hmm. record it. And then you can get that content into, into a book form. Perfect. Well, I got a loud mouth and uh, <laughs> I don't stop talking. So that's definitely uh, the way to go for me. Okay, well, let's start this up now. For, for those of you uh, just tuning in, and you, this is not radio, so you can tune in at the beginning, uh, we have Karen Rowe here who is going to help me write a book down the way. Um, it'll be my first, maybe not my last, I don't know. And uh, the whole thing's going to be about leadership and how to be successful. So here, here are some of the topics. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, preparation. So what do you think, Ian, is the key to preparation? Um, as I get older, uh, I realize how important preparation is. And I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've been through a lot, uh, some success, some failures. Uh, but I've realized now, as I've gotten older, how important preparation is uh, to success. You know, when I first got into the NFL, uh, you know, as a rookie, you know, I'm going to use Paul Gruber as an example. He was a lineman who had been there for seven years. So I'm watching him prepare. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, he's doing too much. Like, I don't know why he's preparing that much. The game is not that complicated. And just like everything else in the world, if you think something's not complicated, you won't succeed. Mm. Because everything is complicated. Everything we do is complicated. You know, if, uh, I mean, I painted these walls and it looks like crap. Okay, because I'm not a great painter. You you bring a great painter in here, he's going to go over all the details. Uh, when you talk about football, um, it's hard to sit and explain the the nuances and the intricacies of, of of football. It just looks like a bunch of people smashing into each other. But there's a lot happening before the snap. There's a lot happening in meeting rooms while you're getting prepared and you're watching film. Uh, there's a lot happening when you're looking at your playbook. Um, and knowledge is king for me. Uh, the more knowledge you, knowledgeable you are, the more prepared you're going to be. Like, like I said, when at the beginning of my career, my rookie year, I look at Paul Gruber or Rob Taylor, and I was like, man, these these guys are just they're just studying. It seems like they're studying nothing. They're just looking at nothing. I just didn't have a lot of knowledge myself. And ironically, when I was in my eighth and ninth year in the NFL, when I was with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, some of the rookies would look at me the same way that I was looking at the older guys when I was young. They're like, what are you going to study? I was like, listen, I need to know my guy inside and out. That's important for me, you know, so I can sleep at night. 
You know, I was watching film. You know, these young kids will watch two hours of film. They go, I just watch film. Well, I'll watch that two hours of film. Then I'll go home on a Thursday night. On a Friday night, I'll watch more film. Then I'll come back in the morning on Saturday morning and watch more film. Sometimes I'm watching film Sunday day of because there's one thing in my head that I can't figure out. So preparation, whether it's in football, whether it's in radio, um, being ahead of the game uh, is is important. Knowledge is important. Uh, latch latch on to something somebody who's done it before. And what were you looking for in that game film in order to be prepared? Well, you know, at, as a rookie, you're watching film. You're saying, okay, I'm playing against uh, my first game was against Jerry Ball. And he's this six foot, 310 pound lineman, kind of quick. Um, so I was watching the film and I was just watching and say, oh, he has a good move. That's a good move. There's a good move. And then I'm watching two hours of film and that's all I'm really saying. In my later on in my career, I'll watch. I'll say, okay, here's Jerry Ball. When he's in this stance, he does this. When he's in this stance, he does this. When he's in this alignment, he does this. When I try to do this block, he does this. So I have a long list, uh, almost a checklist of things that I have to check off and know in my head that when I put my hand on the ground as a football player, that I have a step up on him, knowing that nine out of ten times he does something. And whatever it is in life, if it's it's about uh, tendencies, uh, and everybody has tendencies. Everybody, they may think they 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 do and they don't. I like to play poker. People have tendencies in poker. Okay, like when they're bluffing, they do certain things, and when when they have good cards, they have to do certain things. It's the same thing in, in athletics. Uh, so what you got to do is be a step ahead of somebody. If somebody does something nine out of ten times, I would prepare for that. Okay, so that's really what pe- preparation was for me. And as far as the radio goes, I've been in radio for I mean, over 15 years now. Um, people think that radio is just getting up there and spewing statistics. Really, radio is, is entertainment. Mm-hmm. So you, in, knowing statistics is important, but in between the statistics is important to make people laugh, in, important to keep the flow, and that's what all preparation is about. So... Um, be, I'm, I always try to go into things almost over prepared, and uh, it's, that's 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 what worked for me here, definitely. Great. So in football, preparing looked like knowing your opponent because that allowed you to become a better player as you were anticipating what they might do in any given situation. Correct. In radio, it's preparing enough so that you're able to know your audience, be funny, mm-hmm. keep things moving, and and be entertaining. Exactly. And what I'm hearing is no matter how many times you've done something, so in my case, writing a book, mm-hmm. that you're still preparing the same way you would as if it were your very first time so that you can deliver value and, and be professional exactly like it's your first time but as you get older you realize that you didn't know what you were doing the first time <laughs> and like in, in anything we do you know if you like I say if you're an artist and you paint a, you paint a painting 10 years later I would think or I'd hope that you look at that painting and hate it mm-hmm. that just makes sense because you have 10 years of evolution and you know you're progressing as an artist as an athlete so if I were to go back and look at my rookie season film I bet it would make me sick to my stomach mm-hmm. because I'm making rookie mistakes and how did your preparation evolve then as you played football from one year to the next um, it just became more complex because the, the game was becoming more complex to me to where uh, I'll give you a good example when I got to Philadelphia um, John Gruden was our offensive coordinator and he said to me in one of the first meetings, he goes, Ian, what He goes, what coverage are they in? And I said, excuse me? He said, what coverage are they in? And I looked and I go, I don't really understand the question. And that was real. I just didn't know what coverage they were in because I never had to know that. And then he, he explained to me, well, Ian, they're in cover two, and that's two guys deep. Can they blitz this guy or this guy? And I go... I don't know. I never thought about that. So he explained to me that they can't blitz these guys. So if we're, and I'm going to get technical here, if we're sliding to somebody that, that can't blitz, it doesn't make sense. 
So let's not waste our time. Let's slide to somebody who can blitz. So now we have offensive linemen changing pass, uh, you know, protections in the game, and now the game became more complex to me. So uh, I was never scared to learn, and I was like a sponge. And if somebody te- taught me something, I, I I kept it on. I took it to the field. A lot of people who don't succeed uh, will hear something. And it'll just go over their head, and then they'll they'll keep on making the same mistake. Mm. So being coachable is obviously very important as well. Mm-hmm. And then, in, so if we go back to the initial question about what's the key to pre- to preparation, what would you say is the key? Knowledge, mm-hmm. knowledge, and um, and once again, looking at people who've done it before and have been there before, and, and then are successful. That's that's. I don't believe in luck. I just don't believe in people lucking in anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's ever nobody's ever become a professional athlete by accident. Never. <laughs> it's never happened. Nobody's ever got a show on television by accident. Mm-hmm. They were they they set out to do that and they aspired to do that and then when they got it they fought. They fought to keep it. You know, I in my high school yearbook it said probable destiny I mean, ambition, NFL, probable destiny, NFL, everything said NFL on it. Now, there's probably a lot of kids that did that, and they didn't make it. But if that's not what you're set out to do, I think it's impossible to do it. Mm. So, um, you know, just having the dog in you to to keep fighting is is very important. Fantastic. Okay, let's um, switch gears a bit and talk about defeat. So how do you get past defeat? Well, I mean, defeat is part of life. Um, when I speak to kids, and I speak to kids quite often, I could be a third grade class or 11th grade class, or I sp- spoke to the uh, graduating class at IEDT, uh, International Academy of Design and Technology, which was different for me. Um, and, I, and I always speak to the head salespeople at, at Kia. It's it's all this. It seems like it's the same message. Okay, mm. we're all gonna lose. We all do. And I, I ask the kids, who's lost more? You or me? And the kids are like me. <laughs> no, I've lost a lot more than you. I've been defeated way more than you. And it, it kind of confused them at first because they're looking at me as a, a successful person. But there's no successful people, you know, whether you're an athlete or whether you're Bill Gates or whoever it is that doesn't that aren't defeated at, at some time. But when you're defeated, which is going to happen. Um, you you got to figure out a way to get back into the game. Period. I mean, I've if you're a football team and you lose one week, um, you can sit there and cry about it, or you can look over the film and see how you can improve. You know, I've lost a football game 110 to nothing before. Mm. All right, so that, I'm still trying to get over that one. That one's a tough one to to get over, but it's something you have to line up and you gotta you gotta come back and you gotta fight again. If you're a professional boxer. You know, when you get knocked out, you got to get back in the ring and change your mindset to to where you're a winner again. You know, that's what's so hard in professional sports. You know, there's sometimes where I go out and I, 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 I'm not scared to tell the stories about getting my ass kicked because there's times where I got my ass kicked. And it's not like a desk job where, you know, the, your boss says, hey, did you finish your deadline? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't finish my deadline. Well, you're, it's not like that. When you're, when you're losing in sports, you're physically getting your ass kicked in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's a different feel. So when you physically get your ass kicked, which has happened quite often, you got to go back and film that Monday, watch it in front of your peers, tuck your tail, and then figure out a way on Wednesday to get back out there and improve on whatever you did wrong uh, on that previous Sunday. So defe- defeat's important. I think defeat's important. And I'm, and without defeat, I don't know if we we really have the same motivation. Like, nobody keeps on winning. Nobody keeps on winning. I mean, Floyd Mayweather's the only guy, an athlete that, that's not lost right on top of my head. But he's been through a lot to get to where he is. And now he is where he is. He's a champion. Everybody's going after him. But um, I don't want anybody being scared of defeat because defeat is it's it's essential to success. And so what I'm hearing is some of the things you did to get past defeat were one, you asked questions. Why were we defeated? Mm-hmm. You talked about watching game film. So whatever that is in your industry, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps doing a review of what what did I say or do that caused mm-hmm. the defeat? And then you mentioned changing mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also heard you say that it's easy to share the victories, but sharing the defeats is mm-hmm. really uh, the, the path to learning opportunities mm-hmm. and, and, you know, 
in in leadership mm-hmm. if we talk about that that uh, the great leaders have all failed mm-hmm. and, have. and talking about that allows other people to maybe go for something you know in spite of being feared sure. fearful about failure and for me uh, and I you should always go into a game hoping to win mm-hmm. I mean that's Craig, don't play if you if you don't expect to win or hope to win. But if you get defeated or if you lose, it's okay to lose as long as you prepared yourself to win. As long as you do what did what you had to do uh, to be successful, it's okay to lose. Um, and I, I try I try to let people know that you know football is a team sport, okay? And you win and lose as a team, but. If you're talking about number 62, Ian Beckles, what does he have to do to help the team win? It's an individual sport. So all I really have to worry about is how Ian Beckles is going to come on Sunday and play. On Sunday, I can't worry about everybody else around me. It's a team sport. Mm -hmm. But if the receiver was out last night drunk, uh, acting a fool, Mm -hmm. or the guy beside me isn't ready, I can't worry about that. Mm -hmm. It's about me as an individual. You win and lose as a team, but when you're part of, you know, the team, you could only worry about you. And I, people always say on on on, um, on air, well, what, what what if this player is getting paid this much more? This play-? I can't worry about mm-hmm. that stuff. I worried about me, and I think that's what kept me around is I wasn't really worried about everybody else's crap. Yeah, staying in your own lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned the game. I think we're all in a game, whether that's leading a board meeting or running a business. So just apply this mm-hmm. to whatever your game is in life. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. Great. Uh, and let's talk about being coach. So how do you stay coachable? I think that's important, especially if you're, you know, being defeated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier to be coachable when you're being defeated. But when you're winning, too, mm-hmm. right? You still need coaching. Well, the, uh, a lot of coaches always say that it's a lot harder to coach when your team is winning. <laughs> it just makes sense. When your team is winning, like, hey, we're good. Don't worry about it. Well, you, you think you've run into good until you really run into good. Okay. And that, that happens. Uh, but the thing is. To be coachable for me um, is somebody who who is not scared to be wrong, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and listening is very important. Whether you're talking to talking about your your boss, uh, your coach, your teacher, your parents, and I, I say this to a lot of kids, and I say, um, I guarantee your teacher and your parents want what's good for you. So they're going to teach you mm-hmm. positive things. So listen, like your coach is not going to say, take these steps and you're going to be, you're going to be better off. That's something that's been through generations. Okay. So being coachable is listening to what you're taught and applying it. It seems, it seems simple, but you know, under the, in the heat of battle, you do some funny things sometimes. So, um, Practicing, you know, whether you're a golfer and you're practicing a golf swing at the driving range, or you're in the gym practicing your footwork as an as an athlete, um, you know, recognition is important. Like sometimes you think you know how you're going to react in certain situations, and you get into the situation, and you're like, "This is foreign to me." So uh, being coachable has a lot to do with uh, going back and remembering what you were taught. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not thinking that you know, mm-hmm. because regardless who you are, uh, and if you're a lawyer, uh, if you're a doctor, if you're an athlete, you're about to run into somebody who's better than you. And if you run into somebody who's better than you, you better have the technique down, or you better know what the hell you're talking about. Because, like you say, a high school football player, um, he's been the best high school football player everywhere he's ever been. The second he steps on a campus at college, nobody gives a crap where he went to high school. Nobody gives a crap how many yards he rushed for in high school. Now you're playing with men, and you are not going to be the best when you step on that field with men. If you're 18 years old and there's 21-year-old men out there, you're not going to be the best. In order to get to the best, you have to listen to your coaches. you got to stay out of trouble. Um, you you got to do what's best for you as an individual. And being coachable to me is listening. I was never, believe it or not, I was never, I never said much as an athlete. I, I rarely said anything in front of the team. Uh, but when a coach was talking, when an old school player was talking, I would always 
absorb that kind of stuff and I, that, that was just me I want to learn and I wish it was that I was that way in school I, I wasn't uh, you know sports was more my thing that was more my passion um, if I was that passion in school I would have got a lot better grades and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't unfortunately <laughs> but you know schooling's the same way school's the same way like I didn't have the passion to listen to my teachers and say okay let me write that that wasn't my passion it was more towards the sports and now when I look back schooling's not that hard <laughs> it's not that hard I just didn't have the passion for right. it unfortunately well and the other thing I think that uh you might be missing is that you're even having a coach in the first place, right? So again, if we map this onto whatever area the the listeners or the readers might be trying to be leaders in, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people think they can do it on their own, right? Not. So you need a coach, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I love about working with uh, you know pro athletes and retired pro athletes is that they've just coaching is in ingrained in them. Exactly. They've always had it. They get the benefit of mm-hmm. it. They know to be leaders and to be winners, they need a coach. So if you're listening and you want to be (laughs) excelling in whatever field you're in, get a coach if you don't have one, first of all, and then do what that coach says. Yeah, and everybody thinks they know. (laughs) And like I said, if if you're if you're everybody, some people will say to me, well, I know as much football as you do. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at them. I go, how is that possible? They'll go, well, I watch football. I said, no, no, you watch football. I was football. There's Mm -hmm. a a difference. Mm -hmm. And they'll go, well, ask me a question. And I said, you really want me to ask you a question? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, if you're a three technique and you're running a stretch play, where's your helmet placement going to be? <laughs> you know what their answer is? What? Exactly. Yeah. You may think you know until you run into somebody who really knows. And then you feel ignorant. So being open, you know, having kind of like a clean slate is very, very important. And I, I, I've always been the person to, to listen and, and watch. Well, and being coachable and staying coachable sounds a lot like doing some of the same strategies as uh, the things you talked about to get past defeat, right? In terms of you're still asking questions, mm-hmm. you're still, you know, keeping a positive mindset, remembering what you were taught, not thinking you know it all mm-hmm. and listening. No, and, and I... I used to be the guy that, you know, the coach would go over the game plan and I would put my hand up. He said, yes, Ian. I said, well, can you explain this? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work with me. And he'll go, what do you mean? I said, well, let's try. What if this happens? And he, he would look at me and go, boy, I never, never thought about that. Maybe there's a glitch in it. So I was kind of the guy who dug deep into mm-hmm. things and I had to understand why I was doing things mm-hmm. and um, I think that's what you know kept me around for as long as I was around oh, great okay let's talk about failure then and um, what have you learned from failure and I'd love to hear what the difference between defeat and failure is for you um, well defeat is something uh, I, I is more towards a competition okay okay Failure. Um, I don't even really believe in failure. Hmm. I, I don't. I don't believe in it. I learn. I believe in learning from your mistakes. So, I'm gonna give you my examples. You know, I when I first got out of the NFL, um, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself, and I uh, purchased a restaurant, pur- purchased some Blimpy on West Shore and mm-hmm. uh, and Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I had it for two years, um, and then sold it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, somebody said, "How do you still have the Blimpy?" And I said, "No, I don't have it anymore." Why, why did it fail? And I was like, "It didn't fail. I mean, I ran it for two years and I learned a lot. I learned a lot that I sold it, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've owned um, restaurants. I've owned. I had a magazine for three years. Um, you know, uh, it's more. I've had clothing lines before, more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it fail? Was it successful?" I don't know. That's a funny word. Mm. Did it fail? I don't think so because I learned a lot. Like if any, if any time I want to go into business with somebody, I, I this, and I say this to them. I go, I'm going into business with you because you've already made all the mistakes, mm. and that's important. Because mm-hmm. whatever business you're going to go into, you have to make mistakes. You have to, and mistakes cost money. So I, whether whether I'm going into a clothing company or I'm starting a venue or whatever I'm doing, I want to go in with people who have, who have the world of knowledge and have already made all the mistakes that I don't want to make because mistakes cost money. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want to be spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you know, owning a restaurant, owning a clothing line, owning a magazine and not having them made some people sounds like a failure. But it really, when at the end of it, really kind of makes you kind of a, a renaissance man that is not scared to do much. Mm-hmm. So when I tell people now that I've done that, um, I think it's definitely positive and not negative. Hmm. So what you've learned from failure is you have to make mistakes. You have to. And mistakes cost money. Yeah, they do cost money. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying not to make the same mistakes in business. And it's the same with sports. If you keep on making the same mistakes, you're going to go away. What's up, fellas? Let's talk about sex and let's talk about some good sex. And that's what it's all about. Uh Everybody thinks they're having good sex until you run into good sex. And that's what I did when I ran into Blue Chew at BlueChew.com. They're the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. And they do the same thing. I don't know if you guys have tried Viagra and Cialis. I've tried both of them and some other things as well. And uh, they give me headaches and they just don't feel well. I've had people throw up on them before. With Blue Chew, it's all real cool. It's just a real easy chewable. You do about a half hour before sexy time and sexy time is fantastic and once again not saying your sex life is not good but your sex life is going to be substantially better if you just implement blue chew and it's real easy you can visit bluechew.com and your first shipment is going to be free when you use a special promo code flavor that's f-l-a-v-a and you just pay five dollars for shipping once again go to bluechew.com that's b-l-u-e chew.com promo code flavor and it's free, just $5 for shipping. Uh, it's better, it's cheaper, uh, it's a faster choice, and it's just better than the other drugs out there. Trust me, I've tried it, and I just really don't, I don't even mess with sexy time without a blue chew. So check them out, bluechew.com. So going back to the topic of the book around leadership, if you're leading a team, how, what would you say around a team that maybe is failing? So, Because um, do you want to foster that failure in that environment? Well, once again, failure is, is, a, is a funny word. If you're losing, mm-hmm. uh, it, it sounds like failure, but if every week you're getting better, you're really not failing. Right. Like if you, like I've coached before. Mm-hmm. I coached my son five or six years. Mm-hmm. And we're in South Tampa and we have some kids from one side of the tracks and we have some doctor's kids, we have some lawyer's kids and and then we go play, you know, a team from Nuccio Park. On everything I love, we couldn't play them a hundred times and score a touchdown. We just couldn't score. They were that much better than us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm telling my kids to go out and fight. Because that's that's all I can tell them. Mm-hmm. When, and when the re, the reality of it is, you can't beat that team. That's mm-hmm. the reality. Like if you go and stand on a line with against Usain Bolt and say go and let's race, you're going to lose. Okay, mm-hmm. but it's. Just because he beats you, that doesn't mean you failed. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get a personal best. Not every football player can make it to the NFL. But maybe your kid who is playing like a four, maybe he ends up playing like a six. That is, that's success to me. And, and losing is, like I said, losing is part of it. If you, mm-hmm. if you haven't lost, you haven't tried. And that's an interesting point. Surround yourself with people that are better than you. They'll uh, push you to succeed or mm-hmm. not to succeed necessarily because you just said that's a funny word. But mm-hmm. they'll push you to improve. No doubt. Increase I, your performance. And here at Flavor of Tampa Bay, what I'm doing is surrounding myself with, with like-minded people that are better at what they do than I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just absorbing knowledge. Uh, like Tracy Guida is our uh, social media girl. I'm learning stuff from her all the time. And there's a lot of business-minded people here who uh, we sit around sometimes and just talk life and talk business. And I see everybody, you know, absorbing life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's important. Well, and that's great into to segue into our next section around work ethic. Mm-hmm. So I think you just alluded to it what type of work ethic do you need to succeed well uh, I've always said I don't want I don't like to be outworked <laughs> I don't like to be outworked I just I just don't uh, I hear people say you, you do so much and you work so hard I'm like I don't know if that's what I want to be but that's kind of what I am mm-hmm. um, it's kind of part of my makeup my, I mean my parents were were laborers and my parents worked their asses off mm-hmm. um, they didn't, didn't have a lot of schooling mm-hmm. but they worked their asses off so that's mm-hmm. all I saw that's all I knew um, I was blessed to, to go to college and graduate from college so I have a little bit more knowledge of them that way but I tried to adopt their, their work ethic 
Um, going back to high school, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I was the only one working my butt off and working out. And, you know, now these kids have it so well. They have the gym down the road. Uh, they jump in their car and they go to the gym and it's all good. Um, I used to have to, we didn't have any money. My mother didn't have a car. I used to have to leave school, go home, then get on a city bus to go to the gym in mm. Montreal, Canada. Mm. It's cold. Okay? Yeah. So it was much harder for me um, to get what I was trying to get done than as somebody in Florida who, like my kids grew up, they have cars, they just, uh, gyms down the street, they got uh, a pool in their backyard, they got a basketball court in their backyard, and everything is there for them. So they didn't have to fight for anything. Mm. Like I had, to, I had to fight for things. And to me, work ethic is pride. Mm-hmm. And um, work ethic is, is what you're doing when nobody's watching. I mean, I've had mm-hmm. some coaches say that to me, and it, it really resonated to where um, when, I, when I went to uh, junior college, I went to junior college in, in, uh, in Forest City, Iowa, and I had to pay for junior college. So when I got back for the summer, every, all my friends are partying and having a good time, and I'll be working at an electronic store from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Thursday through Sunday, I'm working at the club uh, from 9 o'clock at night to 3 in the morning. So that's a lot of hours. Mm. And in the meantime, while I'm doing all this to pay for my junior college, yep. I also have to lift weights. I also have to run. Mm-hmm. And there's just not a lot of hours in the day. So I would find myself getting off of work at three in the morning from the club, getting home, getting dressed, and going out for a run. So that's a successive. Yes. But but I'm here. Mm. It's successive, and I'm here. And I just don't ever want anybody to outwork me in any capacity. Like I used to be the first one in the gym. I want to be the last one in the gym. Um, you know, I don't want. Anybody to say Ian's not working hard. That's mm-hmm. that, that's always been a problem for me. And so do you think that pride and that work ethic um, is what 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 caused your success? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Once you stop uh, with the work ethic, and I've, I tell this to kids, the, the sooner you develop a work ethic, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have a step of, above or in front of everybody else around you because... I don't know when it happened, but there was a one time where I just knew what I wanted, and that was to play football. And I don't know exactly when that happened, but whenever that happened, then I was a guy who always wanted to bench press the most. Um, At the end of practices, when there's two players going against each other, that was always me. Okay, that's, that's who I wanted to be. So... You know, when I tell kids, if you're a football player, if you want to get faster, what do you do? You have to go out running. Mm -hmm. If you want to be stronger, what do you do? Mm -hmm. You got to go lift weights. This is not rocket science. It's Mm -hmm. not. So if I put my hand on the ground and we're playing against each other and I'm bench pressing 400 in high school and you're bench pressing 250, it's about to be a long day. (laughs) It's going to be a long, long day. Okay. That's, but I put in the work though. Yeah. I put in the work. Maybe you didn't put the work in. You know, I, when we and my, my buddies are out running up hills and pulling tires and doing all kind of crazy stuff that all sounds and looks crazy now, but this it, is what this is what we turned into. It worked. Right? It worked. And I think a lot of these kids now just believe that their talent is going to bring them to where they need to be, and it's they haven't ran into good or great yet. And when they run into good or great, their work ethic better be pretty damn good. Yeah. And so when you're talking to kids and you're telling them to develop a work ethic. I would, if it was me, I would be asking, well, how do you do that? But I think you just answered it. So the first thing is figure out what you want. Correct. In your case, it was football. And then it sounds like you had a, a, a huge structure and, and routine mm-hmm. um, that you had to follow because then you knew what actions you had to take to get that. Yeah, I don't know if structure and routine is the right way to say it because no? I don't think I was a very structured person. I didn't, I've never been a very structured person. But you just said person. you were working until 3 in the morning, and yeah. then you were getting up and going for a run, and that to me is... I don't is think a... that's structure. I just think that's work. Okay. <laughs> it's not really... Because I'm not really a very structured person. Yeah, gotcha. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. I'm just... I work. Uh, yeah. Like this morning, I got up at 6 in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm about to open up a boutique over there on uh, Bay to Bay um, with this lovely girl, Amber. She has a, her boutique right next door, mm-hmm. and we're redoing the whole place. So this at 6 in the morning, I'm... 
I'm, I have a sledgehammer and I'm I'm, pick, I'm knocking up the tiles. Okay, yeah. so for two hours. Yeah. At six in the morning, everybody. I know everybody else is sleeping. Okay. Right. And you know I can. I can hire somebody to do that. Sure. But it's going to cost me money. Yeah. And I can do it. Yeah. Like, I don't ever like to give anybody money for anything that I can do. Right. And I've always seemed to have been, I've always been that guy. Yeah. That just not, not scared to sweat, not scared to, uh, not scared to be tired. Oh, that's interesting that you don't consider that like a routine or a structure though. Um, but it's because you want to do that, right? That's just mm-hmm. the way I'm, that's the way, like I like to do that. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, um, Outworking people. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. Oh, great. Okay. So let's talk about discomfort. So how do you embrace discomfort? Well, one of the things that I tell kids uh, or anybody that I'm talking to is, like, I'm going to do, I'm going to make sh- shirts I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like my thing. Mm-hmm. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not going to be successful. I don't care what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're a... Uh, ghostwriter or and like you 36 books you're not comfortable <laughs> you're not you, you can't be it's impossible there's just too much going on around you yeah um, if you're comfortable you're not gonna make it you're just not gonna succeed you have to be doing over and above what your body and your mind is used to or you just you, or you're not doing enough yeah so I tell kids uh, are you comfortable if you are comfortable, then you won't make it. You have to be uncomfortable. What time do you get up in the morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I don't have any time to work out. What time do you get up? I got up at 9. I got up at 5. So by the time you woke up at 9, I'd done 12 things. So makes me a little bit more uncomfortable, but maybe a little bit more successful. And, you know, Jeff Niptox, a, kid, a young man, is right here. He's a um, real estate agent. And I would, we were sitting there talking, uh, and he would says, what time do you get up in the morning? And that was a time where I, was, I did my radio show at 5 o'clock over there at 1025. And I said, well, I get up at 4. And he says, I go, what time do you get up? He goes, I'll be like 7. And I go, that's not bad. If you want to be okay, mm-hmm. it's not bad. So then he started getting up at 5. And then two weeks later, he looked at me and goes, it's amazing what I can get accomplished in two hours. It's, it's amazing. So I'm just telling people, if you're, if you're comfortable, you won't be successful. Well, and going back to the previous uh, discussion about work ethic, if figuring out what you want, if you, you know, what I'm hearing is if they're not getting up till nine, what they want is to be comfortable. They, you mm-hmm. know, so they say they want to be a pro football player or something, okay. fill in the blank. Okay. I would say in my case, they want to be a business owner. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly uncomfortable for at least two years. I didn't have a car for two years. Mm-hmm. I had a crappy cell phone. Yep. Like mm-hmm. I, I, everything I earned went back into the business until I was debt free and then hit my income goals. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, You're and a lot more regimented than I. <laughs> yes, you, you, I am. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I am. But that works for me. Exactly. Right? So whereas I think not having the routine and structure in, feels like freedom to you and that works for you. Yes. <laughs> for yeah. me, I find I get freedom through structure. Um, but uh, so people that want to build a writing business, I mm-hmm. say, well, y- you know, <laughs> you got to be uncomfortable. Yeah, you have to be uncomfortable. <laughs> right. To me, it's just hard work. If you put in hard work, things happen. It just seems that easy for me. Well, and the other thing is the embracing the discomfort. That is a short-term, relatively short-term thing, I mm-hmm. think, right? If you can embrace it in the moment, that's going to lead ultimately to success, however Absolutely. that you define that Absolutely. for yourself. And I, I like to tell this story of, you know, pressure. Um if you don't deal well with pressure, then you won't succeed as well, okay? Because you're going to run into a pressure eventually. And I always have people, like when I own the magazine, we have the, the guy who's laying it out, says, I, I can't deal with this much pressure. And I go, where's the pressure? He said, well, you know, uh, I have to get this done by this time. And, and I said, bro, I mean, I haven't said a word to you, mm-hmm. okay? And you've had a month to do it, okay? That's not real pressure. Mm-hmm. I go, I've had situations with real Pressure, real pressure. And if you're going to crumble under a little bit of pressure, then this is not the right thing for you. And whatever your you know, goals are, your dreams, you can squash them right now because you're not going to go anywhere. If you can't deal with this pressure... Don't think that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna advance because it's, it's not going to work. And that goes back to mindset. 
<laughs> Mindset's very, very important. Very no. important. Well, and actual pressure is if, you know, you were to have an anvil on top of your head, that's physical pressure, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's all in your head. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you know, the anvil is a good analogy, <laughs> but I'm going to make it real, okay? When I have Reggie White or John Randall, and these are the Hall of Fame football players, Across from me, yeah. that's an anvil. Yes, it's an anvil. Yeah. It's a real anvil that moves real fast. <laughs> so you know, so that's real life stuff. And would I rather have been somewhere else at that time? Probably. Sure. I'd love to be on the beach, hanging out. You know, drinking a little something would be probably a lot more you know easy on my body. But I chose to be there. So you better be in the moment. It's, it's important to be in the moment. Yeah, I love that. So natural born leaders, do you? think that being a natural born leader makes a difference in people? I don't know if there are natural born leaders. Mm. I, I don't know that for a fact. Mm. Um, if somebody said, am I a natural born leader? I would say, I don't think I am. I think I developed into that. Uh, like I said, when I got to Indiana, uh, Indiana University, I, I left um junior college and got to Indiana. So my junior year, they had two all Big Ten guards, so I didn't play my junior year. So my senior year was really my first year anybody's ever seen me play. Mm-hmm. So here's a young kid. He's a young kid in there. We've never seen him play before. Hopefully he holds his own. Um, so the whole season goes by. I mess my ankle up. I'm playing on one foot half the time, but I'm out there battling. Uh, I'm in the weight room working hard. I'm doing what I need. I didn't, I didn't say one word the whole year. Like, for the games that you win, when whoever gets the big hit gets the sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we won five games that year. So I had the sledgehammer five times. Anybody else could have had the sledgehammer, mm-hmm. but they didn't have a big hit like I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the weight room, you know, when we went through uh, bench press and, and uh, maximum bench press, you know, I benched 470, which was the most in Indiana history at that time. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'm just doing what I do. Like, I've been in the weight room forever. I've been running forever. I've been ready for this. So at the end of the year, they... Um, we have 110 players in the team, and we vote captains. We vote for two captains. Anthony Thompson was a running back on our team who ended up second in the Heisman. Just a, a good individual, worked his butt off. He was one of the captains, and they named the other captain, and it was me. So I tell people, it's not really about what you say. It's about what you do. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want, like, everybody thinks a leader is the one that stands in front of the team and goes, come on, guys, we got to pick. No, that's not the leader. The leader is the one on, if you're playing on Sunday, on Monday, we all have to watch the film mm-hmm. together. The guy who is busting his ass on the film on Monday all the time is the leader. Mm-hmm. And it's not the one who's talking because a lot of people squawk. A lot of people, you know, think the leadership comes through your mouth. It doesn't. It's 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 actions. Everybody knew that in the weight room, Ian's busting his butt. On the field, Ian's busting his butt. If Ian has one leg, he's going to go out there and play. And I think those were important things for leadership. And to me, a leader is like Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. okay, uh, who's up in front. You can tell as eloquent as he was, he was kind of a natural-born leader. And believe it or not, I used to be terrified of microphones. Mm. Like, I used to be terrified of microphones. I couldn't, you know, we have, a, you know, some oral presentation and I can't sleep. And, yeah. and now I live, I live with a microphone in my face. So, you know, that was the evolution of me. But um, I tell people leadership is not about, it's not verbal. Mm. It's about actions. Great. Well, and... In terms of a natural-born leader, it sounds like everything we've been talking about, this work ethic, this preparation, being coachable, um, you know, embracing uh, failure and mm-hmm. defeat, that is what leads to a, you know, in quotation marks, natural-born leader. <laughs> it's, all, it's all part of it. Yeah. It's all part of it. And like I said, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing or trying to get accomplished, um, but it ended, it ended up working out. How do you d- deal with exposure to negativity? You talked earlier about all your critics that mm-hmm. were watching from the stands. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I try to stay away from negativity. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with reality. Like, I'm, I'm not a negative person. Like, mm-hmm. if you ask me a question, whatever comes out of my mouth is what I believe. Mm. It may sound negative to you, but it's really just realistic. Mm. Like, if somebody says, um, I'm going to play in the NBA. And you live in Tampa, and you're five foot seven, and you're you're an average basketball player. I would say to him, 
maybe you should go a different direction. I would say that. That's reality, okay? Right. Like, when I left Montreal, Canada, um, I was a pretty darn good football player, and I said, I'm going to junior college. I'm going to play junior college in Iowa on this little college, Waldorf College. There's 400 students, Mm. and everybody told me, you're not good enough. And I said, the hell I ain't. And they said, well, in the United States, the players are so much better. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go try it out. I'm going to see. I had confidence. Now, for people to think that I wasn't good enough to play junior college football in Iowa, and I ended up playing nine years in the NFL, how wrong were they? Mm. On a scale from one to ten, you were ten wrong, okay? (laughs) So, you know, negativity to me is something I think everybody has to brush off because when I'm, once again, when I'm talking to kids, uh, don't let anybody tell you can or can't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's up. It's up to you. And if my aspirations are to play in the, in the NFL, the hard work that I'm putting in along the way, even if I don't make it to the NFL, is going to benefit me later on. It's gonna, just the hard work and putting it in is going to benefit you in, in in some way going forward, for sure. Tell me what this dog in you is. How do you release the dog in you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I always I ask people what kind of dog they are. Uh, like, uh, I, I love this. My daughter grew up, my daughters and my son grew up uh, playing sports. So I had a lot of young athletes coming through my, my house. And I shouldn't know this. This kid's name was Jack. And uh, he's a good-looking athlete. And I was like, Who, where are you playing? Uh, he goes, I go to Jesuit, sir. And I, I walked by, I walked back and I go, are you a dog? He goes, yes, sir. <laughs> and it gave me chills and I walked away. Didn't say anything. And I always ask people, what kind of dog are you? Are, are you a Bison Frise? <laughs> or, or, and a Bison Frise has this, like, it's cute and everything, but when we when we're in the trenches, I don't want a Bison Frise. Right. Like I want, you know, a pit, a pit or a Roddy yeah. or something yeah. like that in there that's scrapping. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. I'm not a Bison Frise. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 easygoing, and then when I'm in the trenches, I'm I'm a whole different dude. Right. So this guy has said, "Yes, sir, I am a dog." I looked. My daughter looked at me, and like I I, I used to chin check. I used to go, "Hey, you working out hard?" Like, yes, sir. How long? How many? How many times you working out? Oh, twice. I'm like, "You ain't you ain't gonna make it." And my daughter's like, "Stop doing that." <laughs> so you know, this Jack kid has said, "Yes, sir." I look at my daughter. I go, "I like him. Mm-hmm. I like him." Mm-hmm. So this same kid. I used to go work out um, in the gym. I used to see him in the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning when I was there. Yeah. Busting his ass. Mm-hmm. So, make a long story short, my daughter says, you know Jack's in the state finals, you know, today. And I go, really? I go, the same Jack? She goes, yeah. It was in, like, Sarasota or something. I go, I want to go see it. So, I go and I watch his guy's game. And they ended up winning the state championship. But he hit the first four shots of the game from a three-pointer from five feet behind the line. And I, f- I felt like stopping everybody and saying, that's not a mistake. Mm. That's not a mistake. Like, yep. he's been preparing himself for that his whole life. You're not going to stand back there and make the first four shots of a state championship game unless that's what you prepared yourself for your whole entire life. So, you know, to me, everybody to be successful has to be a dog. Okay? And, and it sounds negative, but it's not. If you're a lawyer... You know, before case, you got to read every case known to man. That's how, that's the dog in you, okay? If you're an athlete, um, you got to be in your playbook. You got to work out hard, obviously. You got to listen to your coaches, a lot of different things. If you're writing books, um, anybody can write a book. You got to be a dog to do 36, okay? I'm just going to, because I, I stopped and thought about that for a second, and I, and I applaud that. That's, that's, and you didn't start there, obviously. Right. Okay, but to end up there as well, you got to, there's a lot that goes on in between that, that's, that's all fight. Yeah, but I started with one book. Of course right? you did. And yeah. then I built up from there. Everybody has to start with one book. Right. But in order to get to 36, you got to have the dog in you, because a lot of people just want to write one book. Like, I don't know if I want to write 36 books. Mm-hmm. But like somebody like Bill Gates and some of these billionaires, um, you give me 20 million, I'm done. <laughs> like, I don't even know how anybody gets 10 billion dollars. Like, how does that even happen? But that, I guarantee way back when, when he was in his garage with some computer, yeah. um, he failed a lot. Yep. And, you know, he had some success, success, some failure, and some negativity. It was all bouncing off him, and now he's a multi-billionaire and doing wonderful things. So yeah. um, I don't care what you do. 
you got to be hungrier than everybody else around you because nobody's that talented. Nobody's talented enough to just step into the ring or whatever you do and just succeed like that because if you're a lawyer and you're coming out of a school and you're 25 years old and you run into a 50-year-old lawyer, well, that 50-year-old lawyer is going to eat you up because mm. he's been through it, done that, made the mistakes. And, you know, but that 25-year-old, that 50-year-old is going to tell if that 25-year-old is a dog or not. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I ask that question a lot. What kind of dog are you? Mm. What kind of dog are you? Oh, I'm a pit bull. Oh, you're a pit? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, the thing is, um, people think that pit bulls bite more than the other dogs. They don't. Mm-mm. They bite the same. Yeah. But when they bite you, <laughs> you go, like, I bite, I've been bitten by a beast on before. And yeah. I was like, you son of a bitch. You know, like, you just grew a little blood. Yeah. You get bit by a pit, pit that's not going to be the way that the story ends. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end a lot differently. Yeah. But I like the fact that you're a pit. I like that. Yeah. And just to be clear, I mean, the 36 books, they don't have my name on them, right? Doesn't matter. I, I, I wrote. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, am. you're part of it. Yeah. You're part of it. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. your name in them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then your books. Well, I was just going to say I help others do, do that, right? Because it's, I like doing it. That'll be it. another on the list. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about giving back. So why is it important to give back to the community? Uh, I think I learned this from Tony Dungy way back when, who... Uh, I was blessed to to play for him for one year, and when Tony Dungy came here to Tampa, he said to everybody, this is our community. When you're out in your community, you're representing the Buccaneers. He goes, I don't care if you're in plain clothes, I don't care if you're in a nightclub, Mm -hmm. you're in a restaurant, you're representing the Buccaneers. And that's Mm -hmm. the first time a coach ever said that. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is your community. You need to help your community. Giving back to your community is going to come back, I Mm -hmm. promise you. Mm -hmm. And I've always remembered that. And I've tried to do whatever I can to help in my community, um, whether it's helping out. I, I'm, I have a, a soft spot, uh, uh, place in my heart for kids. Like, grown-ups are okay. <laughs> I, could, I could do without them. But, but I, I like kids because they're not tainted yet. Yeah. Um, and, like, I've done some stuff with the, the children's home. I've done stuff with the Children's Cancer Center. I like to do hands-on things where, like, I'm not big on stroking checks, like you stroke a check to an organization sometimes and mm-hmm. you don't know if it's going to salaries or the, right. wood, the wood floors. You don't know where it's going to. So we've done stuff like gone to the Children's Cancer Center and redid their game room or put a mural on the wall um, or go to the children's home and feed the kids. And we, we did some we, we do some fun stuff. But um, I think it's important the feel that you have in your community. Uh, Julie Weintraub is excellent in, in our community. She's always giving back. Mm-hmm. So then, like, you see Julie Weintraub on television, uh, you know, helping out these abused victims and people mm-hmm. in need. So when you need to buy a diamond, you're like, you want, I want to give it to people that are helping my community. Yeah. So, you know, people like that, I, I, I like to look and see what they're doing. And, you know, doing good things in your community is almost like, free marketing Mm. and you're doing good things you're doing like I don't care what kind of publicity you get if you're doing wonderful things in your community you deserve that you you deserve that publicity because you are helping out people in need and I I, I look back and I see people that are giving back to the community and always seems back to come back it, it always seems to come back to them somehow so I think that's very important anybody that's successful and even when I talk to the kids I said listen I never thought I'd be here speaking to you kids and later on in life, when you guys succeed at what you're going to do, you make sure you come back and you give back to your community. That's very important. And I, my kids are all in their 20s now, but every year I do at least one teacher, one teaching, American teaching. Mm. I have different teachers that will ask me, whatever. And, yep. um, you know, you come and you bring your football helmet and the kids love that kind of stuff. But I think giving back to the community is, is, is essential for everybody. And that probably feeds what Tony Dungy said way back when. Mm, yeah, and that makes sense, right? That you're representing your community. Exactly. Yeah. Very important. So let's talk about success. Now, you said earlier it's a funny word. So tell yeah. me, you know, tell me tell me about that. Um, well, so, some people think that success is just making money. And it's. I think success is enjoying what you're doing. Uh, I think success is... Is, is in your own head hmm. you know there's some there's some people who uh, are janitors and um, 
mm-hmm. are good janitors mm-hmm. and are providing for their family. Mm-hmm. They're a success. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're a success. I mean, because mm-hmm. I don't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know where somebody somebody came from. And you don't necessarily have to live in a great neighborhood to be a success. Not, not for me anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think people get too caught up in dollars and cents sometimes. And there's some people out there that are making a difference and not making a lot of money that I'll be damned if you don't see that there's there's successes. So I think a success is whatever success is in your own mind. Mm -hmm. Whatever you set out to do, if you accomplish that, to me, that's that's success. And that's not money driven. Yeah, it's about quality of life. That janitor could be uh, home at five every day for yeah. dinner with his kids, happily married, Correct. peaceful, and yep. they got some high-powered attorney that's stressed out and miserable. And never sees his family. Right. You know, and, and him, his wife is all over the place, uh, spending all his money, and you know, probably sleeping with half the, 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 the neighborhood because he's never there. Right. And then you have the janitor comes home at five o'clock. He comes home, he has a nice cold beer, he sits down with his family, mm-hmm. everybody's healthy. Talk about the day. I mean, to that, to, to me, that's the success. And if you look at all the, you know, a lot of the sitcoms, a lot of the sitcoms are just that. They're just normal people um, that seem happy for the mm-hmm. most part. And uh, you don't, they don't. Not everybody's uh, the Cosbys and the, Hux, the Huxtables, you know? right? So just like with work ethic, when we were talking about figuring out what you want and then go after it, figure out what success means to you. Correct. And go after that. Correct. Great. So like. To me, I was setting out to play in the NFL. Yeah. If it didn't work out, my path to the NFL would have led me somewhere else. Yes. Somehow. Like everybody has said to me, what would you have done if you didn't play in the NFL? My answer is, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I would have done it hard. I would have done it. I would have been. I would have gone after it, whatever the hell it was. I well, don't know. yeah, and plus, I feel like if it hadn't worked out for you to be in the NFL, it wouldn't have been because you didn't show up. It wouldn't Correct. have been because you didn't do everything in your power mm-hmm. to make that dream a reality. Correct, and that to me, I couldn't sleep. Yeah, I couldn't sleep if. Uh, my lack of effort was a reason why it didn't, it, didn't, exactly. it, didn't, it didn't work. Like everything comes to an end. And my last day playing football, uh, I was in Denver and I, the other guard got hurt. So I ended up practicing the whole day. And, you know, I got to my room and I felt sick. I thought I was going to throw up. And I ended up cramping up in the room. Like my, I had a whole body cramp to where I had to call somebody and I had to come and bring a wheelchair and put these IV bags in me and everything. And this is when i am been in the league for nine years. Actually, this is my 11th year because it was a couple extra training camps. And I just said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. I, 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 it's, I don't want to do this anymore. That drove me crazy for a while because yeah. I felt like I quit. Yeah. But that's not quitting, though. Right. That's that's making a choice. Right. And um, the one book that I did read, The, the Dip, yeah. is about knowing when to quit. Yeah. And I never read a book before that told me that it's okay to quit. Yeah. Because you have to make, if you keep on holding on to everything, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And it was just that time. And it took me a little while to kind of to come to grips with it. I think I'm still coming to grips with it a little bit. Mm. But it was just what was the right thing to do at, at, at that time. So you have to make some decisions throughout your life. Yeah. So I'm interested, if you're writing this book around leadership, mm. what do you think in this day and age is the biggest problem facing leaders? The biggest problem is probably who you're trying to lead. Mm. Like, uh, when I'm talking to teachers and uh, bosses, a lot of the things that they're telling me are, that are happening didn't happen when I was in school. Yeah. Like, I'm, I went to, t- to speak to a, th- a third grade class, and a buddy of mine that's near Bush Boulevard, it's in the hood, uh, and I didn't grow up in the hood, okay? I, I grew up in a nice pretty nice neighborhood. We didn't have a whole lot, but I, I grew up with. Yeah. Um, I grew up to the hood, and there's a third grade class, and I walk in, and I heard a third grade kid say something to a teacher that I'd never heard in any grade. Mm. Like, I walked in and like it shocked me. Suck my blah, blah. And I was like, like, I never heard that in 11th, 12th, never in my whole life. So when I sat down, I was almost shocked that I heard this. And they told me these kids were the the worst kids in the school. And after I spoke to the kids, one of the teachers came up to me and goes, I'd never seen the kids that quiet. I've never seen the kids that quiet before. 
because I was born with that look. Yes. I was born with, I got it from my father. Yeah. Because, you know, parenting is really, uh, parenting could probably use the, the book as well when yeah. we finally, uh, you know, uh, get it written. Because parenting and leadership, they're not too far apart. Right. Um, but the, it's, these kids these days, they people are scared to, to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes reality is best for kids. And people, sometimes they don't want to get to the reality because it's going to hurt the kids' feelings. Nobody ever held back anything that for my feelings. Right. And I'm better off for it. Yes. And I think when these kids really run into reality, they don't know what to do with themselves. So I think that's a problem with leadership when when I'm hearing a teacher say one kid wants to go to the bathroom and we said it's going to be five minutes, you'll be you'll be fine. And the kid urinates in the class. Wow. And I said, well, what'd you do? She goes, nothing. I go, what do you mean? Well, we can't send them home. The parents don't want them. The parents aren't there. So we did nothing. And I go, well, how's that going to turn out? Yeah. How is that going to turn out when the kid can do whatever the hell they want to do? When I was a kid and you spoke, spoke, go to the principal's office, there was ramifications of things. So I think it's harder to be a leader today mm. because of the parameters, because there's just way, there's way too many. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, thank I can't you. wait to read this book. <laughs> well, let's hope it happens. And it has to happen because if it doesn't happen, I'm letting down my whole KPI group. Well, listen, yeah. one, one of the great things that you've done is you've now told the whole world that you're writing the book. That's right. So, so I have to now. Well, that's one of the strategies that I often give to my clients is like, tell everyone, you know, because there is nothing worse than every time you go out, yeah. people asking you, how's that book coming yeah. along? Eventually, you'll get fed up enough to actually finish it. Well, I'm, I'm on air every day, too. Too. So That's I'm, right. I'm going to tell people I'm writing the book, so then I'm going to look like a horse's ass if I don't <laughs> if I don't write the book. So if anybody wants to get in contact with you and uh, has aspirations of writing a book, how do they get in touch with you? Well, uh, they can email me. It's it's my name, Karen at KarenRowe.com, R-O-W-E.com. I'm really all over the internet. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so feel free to reach out. I really love hearing people's stories. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has a story to tell. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, a pro football player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everyone has unique knowledge, and I just love people calling up and telling me about those. So, well, you must be good at what you do because uh, they invited you back at KPI <laughs> to speak to all their people. So, uh, you have to be good at what you do. So, I'm looking forward to, to getting this thing uh, going, and uh, you leading me in the right direction. Uh, thanks, Ian. Okay, thank thank you for everything. Yeah, it's, thank it's you. Wonderful. I look forward to. And it. thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, well, you, you may think you don't have to write, the, you want to read the book, but there's going to be more more stuff in the book, but that's mm-hmm. going to be some of the stuff that we're going to be uh, going over, and uh, this is all preliminary, so, you know, not like the book's coming out next week, so don't hold your <laughs> breath, but it should be out here pretty soon. Well, I appreciate everybody listening in. This has been Flavor in Your Ear, and uh, it's been a little different today, which is good. It's good to change it up, because Donald Trump's going to make me crazy. <laughs> everybody have a wonderful day, and please be safe this weekend. Peace out. Oh. To keep the conversation going, follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Beckles and check out DignitaryRadio.com to get the latest on where you can find him next. This has been Ian Beckles, Flavor in Your Ear on Radio Influence. Bringing that flavor. Hey, this is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, host of Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast truly focused on women in the sports world. I'm so excited to bring this to you. It is for young women who are looking to get into the sports industry and women who are already in their careers, also looking to make a change. I want to put a spotlight on the amazing women that we have in sports now, and hopefully we can all learn a little something. Please make sure to subscribe to my podcast, Leveling the Playing Field, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and with my guys at RadioInfluence.com.